Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we come to you with Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological order. This week we are coming to you with Gundam Zeta episodes 26 through 28. We have with us this week, Scotty P. Hey, what's going on? And Luke. I need more hobbies like Camille and Fa. <laughs> I'll come over. We'll... we'll Time for a little recreation. <laughs> so, oh, do you need your hobby? <laughs> In episode 25, towards the end, we had gotten some information from uh, Sarah. Camille had gotten some information from Sarah about the Gaplant's weakness. So uh, it had like one of those 360 cockpits. And uh, at the very bottom of it, it had a blind spot. So at the very end, uh, Camille got under the plant and shot at uh, Yazan a little bit. And we find out at the beginning of episode 26, which is called the Ghost of Zeon, that that uh, weakness has been fixed. Um, and Jamaican didn't want him to do that. He's like, what are, what are you doing in here? What are you doing doing this stuff? We got to go to grips. And you're preparing for it. a battle. Why are you doing this? Battles never happen. <laughs> Listen, we've had 25 episodes so far and 25 battles. What are you doing, Azan? He's like, yeah, it's not. Look, there's only one every 24 minutes. And we just had one. So I mean, we've got at least at least 20 minutes at this point. <laughs> maybe 10, four. We've got four minutes. But, but Yazan, like, man... He he's pretty much for the rest of the series. He is the uh, the the primary dick of the series for oh, for he's, he's primary with dick. This guy is a power top. Like <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So he's he's basically a, a giant douche to Jamaican. He tells him um, he's like Jamaican. You're going to make me your strategic advisor. And Jamaican's like, dude, what are you talking about? And he's like, actually, go in, go on, Yazan, do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> yep. He's like, well, you know, if you find your way back, okay. Does he kind of look like Ivan Drago from uh, uh, from Rocky? Is that me? Is it just me? I could see in the it. face. Yeah. Um. So uh, Yazan wants to lure the Argama. So we see a lot of these plots for the rest before and even now is like luring the Argama to somewhere and then like jumping out from behind an asteroid. That's that's really the Titan's main battle plan. Um, so Yazan wants to lure the Argama to the Alexandria and use the ship's armament, armaments to make uh, Jamaican feel fear. He's basically like, I'm going to use the Alexandria as a decoy uh, so I can take out the Argama. And um, yeah, it's a great plan. Um, so, all right, I need to stop us here because we're introduced to Chief Petty Officer Adel. And so I need to explain what happened while I was watching. So I put in my Blu-ray and I switched the audio over to English so that I could still know what's going on when I look down to write notes. And I was lazy and I forgot to turn off the subtitles. So I was thinking, well, all right, I'll get around to it. And I got to this scene and I decided 
I'm going to watch this the rest of the way with English audio and subtitles because there are important differences. And I'm going to introduce these really important differences <laughs> with this scene. <clears throat> so uh, one thing you notice when Yazan is telling Adil about his plan is at the end of the scene, he grabs his crotch. Yazan grabs Adil's crotch. Okay. And in the subtitles, Yazan or Adil goes, squadron leader. And then Yazan goes, it's completely shrunk. And we've not even launched yet. <laughs> you can do better than that. Oh, God. Now, in the dub, I had never noticed this because they just gloss over it. And they go, don't let me down. I'm counting on you. <laughs> That's good. Do you, do you ever, you know how, like, in the locker room, people, like, slap each other on the ass? That's just what they thought we did in Japan, apparently, during the 80s. Well, it's, it's funny because... Look at that. That's how you support your fellow pilots. I, I, I think we had mentioned at one point some of these episodes are like uh, Tomino being really horny and, and overly aggressive. And so, like, it continues into this episode, apparently. And then the very next scene, um, you know, Emma is still being creeped out by the Radish's captain. Um, but she's like cool with it because she gets to pilot the G Defensor. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you yeah. can creep on me and I get a cool ship. Uh, bye. Henkin is he's so bad at this. He's like, hey, you want to get tea later now that we've talked about the mission? She's like, no. <laughs> or faster. But I'm your I'd rather bang Camille. <laughs> um, so uh Yazan and his group launch, and um Camille feel says is talks about how he felt great, tremendous pressure from the Dogo skier at one point. Um, and we see this is, this is kind of where, where Camille is starting to be somewhat redeemed as a human being a little bit. Like he's on this, like, not as annoying trip anymore. Uh, and Bright makes a comment. He's like, ah, Camille has mature, is beginning to mature. Yeah. I don't know why it sounds so awkward. Like I, I almost wish they had a term for it within fiction other than pressure. It's, it's like. It's the Star Wars equivalent of him saying to Bright, who is his like another Jedi. I like, sense I felt the force. A, I felt a great disturbance. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that they had ever come up with some kind of term like that. But on the other hand, being that new type stuff is very new to everyone at this point. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I guess the general term works. I just I'm like pressure. Oh, he feels pressure. Like, what's that even mean? Maybe. Universal Century is the early precursor to uh, the Star Wars universe. Sure. And th this is the beginning of the Jedi Order. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kotz wants to launch again, but he is uh, told no. Um, but the big assumption out, or the big tell out of this is like he's not in the brig anymore because he was thrown in the brig at the end of episode 25. But he's out and he's like, oh, I'm still a cool pilot, right? Even though like I, I fuck everything up. But yeah, so he's he's still he, he's out of the brig. Um, so, of course, the first thing he does is he steals the G Defensor and launches. Um, and uh, they're fine with it because it's it's a way to teach Kotz a lesson. Like what what lesson is Kotz going to learn other than dying by stealing ships that he can't pilot? Well, I, I think Hankins just kind of like, I, I don't care what happens <laughs> to him, you know, just 
Um, yeah, it's it's an efficient use of limited military funding for the AU, which is like a scrappy, um, paid for by donations military outfit. Yeah, just let this like twelve year old kid steal one of our like prototype uh, core core suit or uh, mobile fighters and. You know, the, the G defensor was a stretch goal bonus anyway. <laughs> True. Um, so Emma begins fighting Azan one-on-one um, and she's not doing so hot. Um, and then we see that they are running into a, a Guazine, Guazine class Xeon ship. It's kind of like a, a they think it's like a remnant from the one year war. Most likely it's floating around in space. Um, and, uh, these are, these are the big ones. Those are the big red ones. They're not the moose eyes that you typically see. These are are much larger. So this would have been some kind of capital ship. To me, it's not assumed to have been anyone important. The Mm -hmm. only really super important one we see is, um, um, I always blank on his freaking name when we're not talking about the actual one year war, uh, old Zabi. And that one got oh, completely, ab- yeah, 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 completely obliterated by a colony laser. So yep, yeah, yep. So um, Kot shows up in the D- G defensor, and he's he's got a lock on this guy. He's going to shoot a missile at him, and he presses the flare button instead. Um, so he shoots off a giant flare, lights up the night sky or space sky, I guess it it is. Um, yeah, he's not a very good pilot. Um, and this is where uh, Luke brought this up in our chat, but. Um, Camille wakes up, and what's he sleeping in? Uh, he's sleeping in tidy whities, which I'm fine with, but also a turtleneck. Not, not just a turtleneck. A sleeveless turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> turtleneck wife beater. <laughs> like, you know what? You know, tidy whities and sleeveless and like tank top. Okay, cool with that. But they made it a turtleneck, and I can't, I can't unsee it. Yeah. It was it's pretty weird. It was I like it's like he was like ready to go to work. He just needed to put a jacket on. <laughs> I like I, legit, I genuinely paused it. And he tucked the turtleneck into the underwear. I'm just, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I I paused it in search for sleeveless turtlenecks and couldn't find anything that remotely resembled what he was wearing. <laughs> I know what Luke's gonna try to cosplay for Halloween next year. <laughs> Uh, assuming assuming we can have a party, I really hope someone has a Halloween party because I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, let's do it. Uh, so he wakes up uh, in his turtleneck and he senses that Emma is in danger. Um, so uh, Emma is Emma's in the Mark II, right? She's not in Zeta, is she? Yeah. So she she is in the Mark II. Yeah, and. Um, so I guess the the Mark II and the uh, G Defensor can merge into like a a up armored. I don't know. Is it called like the full armor Mark II or something like that? Or well, I'm glad you asked about the RX 178 Super Gundam. The Super Gundam. Oh yeah, yeah. So this is a, a an interesting part of Zeta because when you think of Mecha shows in the mid season upgrade, of which this show is one of the pioneers. You think about things like Camille getting the Zeta and he used to have the Mark II. Or if we go and think about other modern Gundam shows, you think about Hero getting the Wing Zero after he had the Wing. Domonkashu gets the Burning Gundam or God Gundam after having the Shining Gundam. Um, you know, and then, uh, uh, yeah, pick an example. You get it. That's usually your mid season upgrade. But here, the Mark II 
also gets a mid-season upgrade in the form of the G-Defensor combining with it. And so it combines to form the Super Gundam. Now, the actual core fighter part of the G-Defensor launches separately. So basically, it will help with the docking sequence. And then once the rest of it is docked with the Mark II, it will take off and fly. Yeah, it's like a little pod. Yeah, and it's got a couple little guns, but you know, at that point, it's more of like get the get the hell out. Like, yeah, you know, you, you've done your you've done your job. Uh, what it adds for the Mark II, and this will be important later in, uh, I think, the next episode. Maybe it's this one, um, but it gets a really big gun. It's just a big long rifle, but it's yeah, it gets a BFG and some missile pods. Uh, and they, I think the interesting thing about this one, too, is that a lot of these Gundam midseason upgrades, you don't see things like combining and coming together. And the only thing I can really think of that's like this is the double O, which is sort of the more traditional midseason upgrade of main protagonist gets a I know it's I said midseason. I know it's two seasons, but whatever. It's the same thing. Um, you know, protagonist gets the upgraded whole new suit. But then also in the case of like the double O, there's the double O riser. And so the G defensor is the closest thing to the O riser, uh, except in this case, Kotz does not have to sit there like King Arthur and ride bitch. Um, <laughs> he has to then just shoot off in his little space pod and, and hope he doesn't die on the way back to the ship. Yep. So yeah, they have trouble merging at this point, uh, but it's okay because Kotz can't quite get it into Emma. Yeah. He's, mm. Uh, Camille shows up and blows blows up a Hyzak, and then Emma is finally able to merge with the G Defensor. And uh, like Scotty said, um, Kotz kind of flies off in the middle of space and does his yeah. own thing. Once once Camille shows up, Emma's like, "I'm ready now," and they can yeah complete the docking sequence. Um, so at this point, we learn that the Guazin is a ghost ship for sure. It's not just like some floating, like partially used ship. Um, and Kotz is actually getting chased down in his little core fighter, but he managed to actually, uh, take out a, a Hyzak's head which in a, in a pr- pretty cool little scene. Yeah. That, that's, uh, uh, Adel's, uh, Hyzak. That's the guy who's yeah. crashed with a- Adel just sucks. <laughs> He's here and gone. Um, uh, Yazan and Camille, uh, start fighting around the ghost ship. Um, and they have a, a, a talk about, uh, Yazan not being a new type that he's just a really badass like hotshot pilot um, no new type abilities though as of yet um, I don't think he ever gets any does he he's just always a badass Yazan it's left intentionally vague uh, but if he is a new type he's a weak new type um, it's it, it's uh, it's like he's not comments. he's he's a step even lower than like Shar uh, was in the original series. Yeah, like new types can somewhat sense him, and but I don't think like identify him through yeah. it. There are comments made like he's not a new type; he's just really damn good. Yeah, and that is that's Yazan's shtick. Yep for for now. Yep. Um. So Emma goes towards the ship to look for Cots and um. Yeah, Kotz just ruins everything, so Kotz is causing more problems. Um, and then Jamaican's ship begins firing on the Auk forces, even though uh, Yazan's uh, people are in between. So basically, Jamaican's like, well, 
you know, I told uh, Yazan he was on his own, and uh, if he survives, that's great. <laughs> um, and then, so Kotz and Emma get out of the their mobile suits, and they start uh, chasing around. Uh, what was the guy's name again? Crotch grab. Crotch grab. They start. <laughs> yeah, they start. Chasing Adele around the the Guazine, um, and Kotz gets captured. Um, so at the same time, Kotz is losing to Yazan, um, and the Titan officer gets blown up, and uh, he goes kind of like ADHD and leaves Emma to watch a fight between Yazan and and Camille. Um, and during this whole thing, Kotz manages to like turn on an old Xeon suit and uh, takes out both of uh, Yazan's arms to save Camille. Um, well, he gets, uh, I think he gets one of them and then Camille is able uh, to get yeah. the saber out onto the other one. Yeah. But he, yeah, he basically, yeah, he pops uh, Yazan and Camille t finishes him off. Uh, he, it's, he's still alive, but the other way to put it is that he hot wires a Gilgoog and then for some reason when it turns on, it's like bazooka or something fires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, what's that? Oh, he lucked, he lucked into it. He didn't, it was not. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, so they, I, they hint a lot, um, especially when Kotz is first introduced that he uh, has worked a lot at like the Kennedy space center with older Xeon suits. So he is not just like some rando working on a random suit. He actually um, had trained on and had some experience with these old Xeon suits. Yeah. And something else to bring up here that is relevant, it might not seem it, is that when you watch this and you see, okay, he gets power going to it, and then how does it just suddenly fire something? Well, this is actually going to be something that's important in this show coming up. But the way at this point in the universal century, almost all beam weapons are powered is through the hands of the mobile suit gripping something on the weapon. And it's they're drawing their power from the suit. And so something like this, which I didn't catch if it was a beam bazooka. But anyway, a lot of these things, even if they are powered, even if they're not beams, right, they're uh, some kind of more conventional physical weaponry. They're powered through the suit itself. And that hand is what makes that connection. There are exceptions. The Zeta, I think uh, its rifle is one of them because we see at some point in the next several episodes, Camille runs out of energy and there's like a pack on it that detaches. So mm. they're starting to have some technologies where they don't have to um, depend completely on the suit's output as far as what kind of weapons it can yield. Um, wield, sorry. Uh, uh, so that's kind of what is assumed to happen here is that there's some connection still made in it. And, it. and it was interesting because I think in the original mobile suit Gundam series, um, more of the Xeon suits relied on bullets than the uh, Federation suits, which a lot, relied a lot on beam weaponry. Um, and you actually see this a lot, I think, in um, Thunderbolt, where like the full armor Gundam is using lasers left and right, left and right, and the Psycho Zaku for the most part is using a lot of uh, missiles and uh, like automatic Tommy gun type weapons and things along those lines. So yeah, it's just and like the, 
like the closest standard armament would be like the heat hawk yeah right? it's drawing power to yeah yeah yep yep just a neat little like tactical difference between the two sides um yep so yazan leads uh emma and camille to the uh alexandria um and as they're kind of chasing him as he's retreating um and he kind of gets right in front of uh the the command area of the ship and he basically forces them to fire upon him and he gets out of the way at the last second and unceremoniously kills Jamaican. Um, and that's the end of Jamaican. He's just like dead out of nowhere, but the Alexandria is still there. It's okay. It survives. Um, and that big old, uh, there's that BFG. Yep. Doing its thing. And, uh, Camille thanks Cots for saving him. Um, and we learned that uh, Zeon and the Titans are theoretically joining together to build a space fortress. Um, uh, basically, Grips is being brought over to Abawaku. Um, this is, again, only very briefly mentioned um, at the very end. And we also learned that Char is in the process of returning from Earth. Um, the Guazine ghost ship gets blown up. And everybody kind of like watches out the port window as it blows up and enjoys a nice little fireworks display. Yeah, the, the thing that they mention about about a coup and grips is not brought up for quite a long time again. So hope you don't miss it. <laughs> yep. Um, so this was that episode twenty six was a pretty. Uh, pretty good episode. It's Zeta at this point seems to have like episodes where lots of stuff happens and then like an episode or two of filler episodes. That seems it, ha it has episodes that are like every episode. There's usually at least one thing that should happen for the story or characters or something. That's a good thing that was worthy of happening. But sometimes even within an episode, there are things that feel like they are extraneous. Yeah. Um, this one has like almost everything with Adol. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you said in the movie, right? They cut like out of the over the course of six episodes, they cut like three episodes out of it, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty substantial cut, and I understand why. I mean, it. Mm, there was a lot of not a lot of mood to. You're you're not gonna have uh, fifty battles and three movies. <laughs> You could. you could. I mean, there's probably a market for that, but uh, I'm not that guy. Can you imagine like a Zeta edit that's just every single every battle strung back to back? <laughs> it was like one long battle. Gundam Zeta, the battle. Oh. <laughs> episode, uh, episode 27, Rendezvous with Char. I wonder what's going to happen. Camille and Fa are maybe they're gonna meet up with Kai Sheedon. Well, maybe. Mm. Uh, maybe Camille and Fa are gonna use him as their counselor because they start off the episode and they are arguing once again. Um, and their Fa is worried about her hair instead of preparing for battle. Um, this is this is a thing where basically Camille and Fa just keep getting into it over and over and over because hair. she was brushing her hair and he's like, why are you worried about your hair? You're a pilot. Yeah. He's like hard on her um, for like doing all this stuff to like, 
take care of herself. And like, you know, you would normally think like, yeah, the little things help these guys manage stress. And Camille's like, why are you brushing your fucking hair, bitch? You're a pilot. So basically, Camille is a dick to Fa. Then he leaves and Apolli stops him. He's like, dude, don't be a dick. And Camille's like, hey, every time we talk, we end up arguing. I just don't get it. It's because you're a dick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Apolli suggests that Fa and Camille... So, so they go to the the bridge and um, they're talking to Bright. And Apolli's like, yeah, Fa and Camille should probably not like fight together because they just fight all the time. It's like their hobby. The dub. Um, so I, the way that they say it is uh, Apolli references when he's talking to Camille, he references, oh, you mean your hobby? And then uh, when they're in the bridge, Apolli's like, I don't think they should go fight together. And Bright's like, why? Because of their hobby? And they keep <laughs> just calling it their hobby. Um, and maybe you guys interpreted that as their fighting, but I interpreted it as their their recreational bang sessions. <laughs> I don't know that they actually bang. <laughs> well, that's what everyone keeps saying. Like, um, well, okay, implying. You don't ever actually see it or anything like that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it was—it's definitely heavily implied that they're like banging each other, but just like, non-romantically. Yeah, or just fooling around, or I mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's he- there's at least some hand holding and heavy petting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. And and Bright mentions that he doesn't know how to play a father to Camille, and I'm like, dude, Bright doesn't know how to play a father to his own kids. So. <laughs> Uh, nobody celebrates bright for father's day um <laughs> so uh we got a new captain on the alexandria it is now captain Gotti. um he has repaired the alexandria um and we learned that the that abawaku has been renamed to the gate of zidane um and again this is probably something that will be important in like 10 episodes so um keep that in your mind they're just going to start calling it the gate of ZN and you got to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what was it when they renamed was the one. Uh, Solomon gets renamed Compay Island. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically once the Federation gets control of these space fortresses, especially when they're very associated with something that has to do with Xeon, they, they're like, hey, we're going to change. Th- we're going to rebrand. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Yazan is officially assigned assigned to um, the Alexandria, um, and I wrote Jericho is not happy, but I think that is uh, Jared. <laughs> I think I think autocorrect changed it to Jericho for some godforsaken reason. Um, Why to Jared? <laughs> I'm assuming because of how wrongly Jared's name yeah, is spelled. So Jared is not happy. Um, and we see Yazan is just like trying to like trash the Hizax. He's like, these things are pieces of shit. Nobody needs these things. Let's just push them like, out I'm, the hangar. I'm putting these right in the garbage. <laughs> uh, yeah, you wonder why uh, why why he's not happy with them. But yep. Um, so Yazan gets into an argument with Sarah, Sarah Jared, Mawa. Um, <laughs> And then he slaps Jared and says he'll blow up the Zeta. I'll blow up the Zeta. Um, and then so there's a there there was a just an interesting note here on the subs versus the subtitles versus the dub thing. Yazan when he insults Sarah here in the dub he calls her a Girl Scout, 
and then you know, Sarah comes back. Who are you calling a Girl Scout? Uh, but in uh, the subtitle, Yazan calls her an incomplete battle doll. And given that she is a cyber new type, I, mm. I appreciate the localization attempt, right? Yeah. That was a way better insult in the, in the subtitle. Yeah, yeah. More complete. Um, yeah, so Mawa flirts with Jared a little bit, and they start making out. Um and, and this is at this point, I just say, like, you know, right now that she's going to die soon. You just know it. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's planting those flags yeah. right in his mouth right now. But um, it, one, one of the things, though, did you guys see uh, this is going back to the Jared and Yazan fight when Yazan leaves the hangar? Did you see him slap Jared with his empty glove? Yeah. Yeah. He, Yazan takes off his glove or by his gloves. And then he takes one of his empty gloves in his hand and slaps Jared with the empty <laughs> glove. It's very yeah. like Rick James or something. Yeah. He slaps him with it. He's like, I'm going to blow up the Zeta. Um, yeah. So, uh, Mawa is going to be on a suicide mission. Jared says, but she says she'll be okay because, uh, Jared will save her. And this is like, I can't remember. There's a show where, where somebody has, I, but basically, like, she's like, I trust you, Jared. I'll be fine because you'll save me. And then, like, Jared looks at the camera, gives it a weird look, and is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this scene is weird. I think this scene is not well made. It does not explain itself well. Because you basically have Jared and Mawa making out. And then Mawa is like, I'm going to use that Isaac that Yazan was about to throw in the garbage. And you're like, what? Is Jared that bad of a kisser? Certainly not. <laughs> and so, all right, they kind of go through it, but there is something called a, they, they just refer to as a mega launcher that they have made. It's a big fucking gun um, that's ready to be used by Sarah. And Mawa's Hyzak is essentially there as an energy tank for it, mm -hmm. which I just, that was one of the reasons I just explained that stuff about energy weapons in the last when we were talking about the last episode so um so that's what's happening despite like whatever they explain in this episode it's really vague and like you almost have to connect the dots but that's this is what they're talking about and then we cut to bright eating a hamburger yep bright is uh talking with a mouthful of hamburger while the argam is scanning for enemy enemies um while they're on their way to pick up char so Shar is coming back from the, the Earth Federation meeting that we talked about, I think from like two or three episodes ago, right around the time that uh, Blex was killed. Um, and uh, they, they've got to meet up with him. So uh, Yazan prematurely escaped. I was going to say something with an E. I can't remember what it was. He prematurely, prematurely launches from the Alexandria. Um and we learned that the colonies are afraid of the Titans because of the colony, colony drop. So um, es essentially the the subplot of episode 25 um, has made the colonies start allying with uh, the Titans because they don't want a colony to be dropped on a colony. I guess, I guess rammed a colony or they don't want to be dropped on somebody. <laughs> um, so uh, Hayato, tell, Hayato tells Shar to become the leader of the Ayug as he's um, launching into space. Yeah, and 
it's almost conspiratorial the way he says it. It's it's almost like he's he's getting real close and he's going to be like, hey, by the way, Shar, hail Hydra. <laughs> but instead, he's like, hey, hey, Shar, become the leader of the Agug. It's it's like okay. I mean, I mean, the, the Agug other... really doesn't have a leader at this point um, because Blex was yeah. the leader, and now it's basically. I mean, Wong would be the closest thing to like a decision maker for them. Yeah. Like the people that are supplying most of the money and power. I mean, we really know that at, at this point it's uh, people like um, the carbines that yeah. are, you know, through this and that and the other. And, but anyway, uh, Luo and company places like that, but now this is getting off on a tangent. There are a couple other interesting things about this scene that are, it's very short, but um, the Audumla looks like an Autobot shuttle at the start of this. <laughs> I, I kind of do a double take because it's zoomed in real close. It's yeah. close close to like orange color with a lot of panel-y detailing. And, and, it looks uh, like the, this X-Wing that I have, this model from, I got, I don't know if you can see it on here. Yeah, yeah the podcasters can't see it, but there's a lot of like little super yeah. minor etching detail on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that kind of makes sense because the... Uh, um, uh, the, whoever Sunrise used for this animation worked on Transformers the movie as well, and some of it at least. Toei did most of it, but they, you know, did some things. So it kind of makes sense that there's a little bit of crossing the streams there. I actually had to go and look. I was like, did they just like recycle a cell and like put some <laughs> other textures on top of it? And I, I actually had to look at that in the previous episode because there's a point where Yazan knocks the Zeta into the wall of that hangar where that Gelgoog is, and I was like. I've seen like that exact animation and there's, it was just really similar stuff. Like uh, I think Megatron gets thrown against the wall once and uh, Springer does like later when they're in Unicron and it, but it, it was similar, but like, and the Zeta looked so funny that I was like, did they like layer the Zeta, like airbrush it on top of a transformer, but they did not. Anyway, that was not a tangent I plan on doing the other actually pertinent to Gundam. Interesting thing that I mentioned or that I had noticed, like so that nobody in the AU knows about Blex's death. Right, he's like, be it's careful right. how you tell him. Do you have a phone? No. Well, I think we uh, mentioned this before. Like when when um, Jared and and Mawa were on Von Braun, and they're and and uh, uh, Jamaican was like, oh man, they went shopping. We need to get in touch with them. Better set off the fucking air raid to get them to come back. <laughs> yeah, that's our and this has not aged well. <laughs> No form of communication. Well, so it's um, like they randomly have communication, right? They have plot conducive communication, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, even back in the original series, like you know, um, what's his name, Revel, could have like a colony wide broadcast, and you know, they could talk from ship to ship in some cases. But it was only when like the plot necessitated that communication <laughs> that they could do it. It eats up a lot of resources, let's say that. Say that they don't have good internet. <laughs> Comcast put a cap on them like they're getting ready to do to us. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So the um, Radish's mobile suits launched to protect the Argama from Yazan. Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, he launched uh, prematurely. Uh, and Shar is going to leave his little escort ship and float around in an escape pod, uh, which, he, you know, the pilots of, of his little escape ship are like, oh, it's going to be hard for him to find it. And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. The Argama can find it. And to be fair, again, um, 
bright is a new type and you know it, the white base was like pretty much piloted by new types so uh i guess that's his faith that they'll be able to find him um but yeah so he is char is floating around in a little escape pod um and his escort ship leaves um yep. And Argama is running behind, which is why they leave. We skipped something I wanted. Okay. Uh, so before you get to the part with, oh, did we mention Hayato giving Shar a letter from Mirai? No, we didn't. Okay. So that wasn't what I mentioned, but yeah, that happened. And, um, and then the other thing that I wanted to just bring up, and this is one of those small scenes that you wonder, why is this here? As you continue watching Zeta and into its sequel, you eventually understand it. You're like, why start doing this? So you get this little scene where the Argama has started its descent to go get the little shuttle and they end up, you know, getting the lifeboat. And you have Torres, who is the one of the guys on the Argama bridge. And they do mention these guys' names, just not super often. But they not start enough to, that you remember it all the yeah, time. Yeah they start to more here. And I think this is where they, especially with Torres start to have him, like he starts saying things and having lines, not super frequently. He isn't going to go up in even like your B tier list of characters, but um, he becomes more than just background bridge guy, probably starting around here. Uh, Bright's talking about, you know, he wants them to watch for missiles from earth because presumably they're going into low earth orbit. Federation right. could target them. Torres finishes his sentence here finishes bright sentence he's like i know watch for missiles and bright just looks at him he's like that'll do i just think it's funny <laughs> yeah so um the argument launches some suits um so that the argument can actually speed up to find char so again uh, they're running a little bit behind um which is why again char was in his escape pod because the other ship was like yeah we can't stay here forever um, Jared helps Mawa and the mega particle cannon get into place. And, uh, at this time, Fa notices the Hyzaks, but she's basically told to like, keep going. You know, I think it was Emma that told her to basically like, ignore it. Don't, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Um, and, and this battle, Emma gets shot at and she's about to, uh, get taken out. But um, she gets, oh, man, who is it? Uh, no, it's Jared nails Emma, right? Is it Jared that hits Emma? No, Yazan attacks Emma. Uh, yeah, okay. But so Yama's Yazan is ordered to go uh, after yeah. the armor. Yeah. So yeah, he, he blows her up. She's still kind of floating around, but um, she's not in good shape. And he's about to take her out. And, and uh He's like, yeah, go, go fight the argument. He's like, but, but, okay. It's like the one time he'll listen to somebody for some reason. Plot armor, Emma. Um, uh, Kotz launches again without permission. So this is like the third or fourth time that he's done this. Um, no, he, he had permission this time, I thought. Nope, not initially. No? Not initially. He had a night, he had a new type flash though, and he, he launched. I'm pretty sure he didn't get permission until after the fact. The short pilot, the, the short silence that you heard after Lane said new type flash was when he looked at the camera and went, okay, in his brain, because that's the name of the show. <laughs> uh, yep. So uh, Bright sees the rendezvous ship 
launch the lifeboat with Char in it um, at this point. So Jared is trying to stop the Zeta from flying around so the cannon can shoot it. So like one of the things that Jared has actually been very effective with um, throughout this series is grabbing Camille. Like he almost every time Jared and Camille fight, Jared grabs Camille and he always fails to follow through. But, and I think this continues on for several episodes that every time they fight, Jared has it, but he just can't, he can't follow through. So, um, so he's slowing down, he's trying to slow down the Zeta. Um, and then, uh, Yazan engages the Zeta. Um, and so, uh, Yazan actually starts grappling with the Zeta and Sarah fires at the Zeta and the Goplon. Um, but it's a little bit too late, uh, because Kotz is able to distract her at the last moment and she misses, but she takes out the ship that was, uh, leaving sharp behind. <laughs> so they were like, Oh, we got to get out of here because it's not going to be safe for us to stay here. You know, they get rid of Char and they still get fucked. <laughs> Poor guys. Um, and we learned that Jared doesn't trust Sarah. They're not, they're not buddies. Um, <laughs> and then we see, again, I think I mentioned in the last episode that Camille is slowly maturing. Um, Camille is about to slap Fa when he says, let's just get along. And they start making out. And then um, Bright gets a video letter from his family and they kind of like, he gets a little talk from everybody and Bright cries and the episode ends. It's kind of sad. It is. Know? It is. If I mean, it, it depends yeah. if you feel like Bright is a sympathetic character or not as far as like how he um, treats his family. They're trying to show you that he, he knows like he's, yeah, he's, He's conflicted, right? He's trying to do what he thinks is he's he's out there trying to save the universe, right? And bang Rekua. I mean, but no, no, we no, not, not yet. Like, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, he gets this letter in this floppy disk that somehow has a video on it, but anyhow, um, oh no, sorry, it's family pictures and audio recordings. We do learn that Nugget is good at spelling. She got a hundred on her spelling test. Yeah. Yep. And then you have. Yeah. And it's, and it's valuable. And I don't know it if this will be important series. for Hathaway's Flash, but. But it'll come out in May. It's we. I, I don't think we mentioned it in the last episode. Hathaway's yeah, it, Flash, May 21st. We'll see. Maybe. And go into a movie theater by May. You might be able to see Hathaway's Flash. Yeah, maybe. Or sorry, um, Hathaway. Right, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, but we learn here that Hathaway does run every day, and he says he's going to pr protect Nugget and Mommy so that he can go and get the bad guys, so that Bright can go and get the bad guys without having to worry, because he's going to protect his, the, the family. Oh, Char's counterattack. <sighs> Episode 28, The Jupiterist Infiltration. Yep. <laughs> Hathaway sucks. Um, the enemy ships are gathering near side two uh, at the beginning of this episode. Um, and Char tells Bright about the assassination of Blex. 
Um, there's a little drama about it, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Lex is dead and it is what it is. It's both Hankin and Bright kind of are drawn with this look on their face or they're like, did he kill him? <laughs> and if he did, do we care? Yeah. So Shar, at least for the next several episodes, exist in this weird place in between these ships where he's there, but he's not there at the same time. Like he's, he's, he's Ayug, but it's not clear what his role in the Ayug is. No, he is in this next small group of episodes. He really is trying to do the things that he thinks he should be doing and needs to be doing to live up to the expectation that has been put on him by Blex and Hayato and, and just outside pressure from basically the rest of the AUG to lead them. He is trying to start coming into that role in the right way. Um, this will be fucked up, but that's not a topic for right now. Yeah. No. Um, so they are repairing, I, I guess it's the same Golgoog that, well, it, they don't say it. It could be the same good. Do they it say is. it? They do. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. so they're repairing the Golgoog that, uh, Kotz had kind of turned on and gotten, um, in that, uh, ghost Xeon Guazine ship. Um, and Rekoa is going to use it to infiltrate the Jupiter's. They comment they're using old Nemo parts to put it together, and Camille says, "Why are you doing that? You're not going to be able to use it in battle at all." <laughs> clearly, there's there's clearly they're of, not interchangeable there. A lot of faith in those Nemos. Um. So yeah, Camille feels uneasy, so he asks Fa where she is, and um, tells basically Fa the entire plot. You know, like, oh, you know, Reco is gonna do this and this and this, and I don't think she should be doing this. And um, Camille is angry that Rekoa keeps putting herself in danger. Uh, and Fa calls Camille immature. Oh, wait, no. Rekoa calls Camille immature because he's venting the Rekoa as well. And then Fa's like, yeah, Camille, you're, you're a douche. Shut up. Well, Rekoa handles herself well because, um, you know, Camille finds in where um, Fa and those kids are and gives she gives those kids like some juice and then Camille's like, you really going? She's like, would you like some juice too? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Fa actually starts grilling Rekoa about her missions at this point. Because I, I think Fa is in a weird place too. Like she uh, knows that she's not a great pilot, but that's what she's doing right now. But she's also like taking care of these war orphans on the ship and all this stuff. So I think she's like trying to feel out like where, what she can do and how she can be effective. Um, and Rekoa um, bequeaths the Methus to Fa, which is weird because again, like these are AU like mobile suits. It's not Fa's mobile suit. It's not Rekoa's mobile suit. It's the AU's mobile suit. And, but now it's Fa's, it's Fa's. Fuck the AU. Um, Rekoa says that she's always selected for these types of missions. Um, and it's weird because like, I feel like if this were the novels, right. I, I haven't read, I don't know if there's data novels. I assume there may or may not be, I, don't I, I haven't heard of them, but I, so if this was the, the original mobile suit Gundam novel, like 
this conversation where Rekka was like, yeah, I'm always like selected for this type of mission. There would be a dot, dot, dot because she sleeps with everybody to, to you know, she's willing to like fuck her way as a spy, you know? Um, but they leave it kind of like vague right here. Um, I think, uh, so Fa and Camille are arguing one more time about helping Rekua. And like my point at this thing, like the whole first half of episode 28 is Fa and Camille bickering with each other. Like it, it, they take the beginning of episode 27 and they make fun of Fa and Camille for bickering all the time. And then episodes 28 like, no, no, they really do bicker all the time. And here's 10 minutes of it. <laughs> yep. Um, so, Sirako wants to take over side two so he can use that as a staging ground to take over Earth uh, when he's ready to actually go into Earth. There's like some weird talk about yeah. how he's like, I'm not ready to go into Earth yet, uh, but what, I will use side two to like prepare to be able to go there. Yeah, yeah. He's talking to Sarah. He's like, even though I spent all this time on Jupiter, I'm still a man. And a man needs land in space. And it's <laughs> our land. And I'm awesome. And then Sarah looks at him. And she's like, yeah, I'm 15. And you're awesome to me. Because <laughs> I don't know better. And I've been poked at in the lab. And Shiraco's like, yes. Yep. yep. That's yep. exactly how that scene goes. I will accept no argument. Yes. Um, so, uh, Sirocco returns to the Jupitris and leaves Sarah on the Dogo skier. Um, so Reko and Camille launch, uh, and Fa complains that Bride allowed Camille to launch. Uh, and there's like a long talk about how, like, you know, everybody's looking down on Reko because they're allowing Camille to launch with her because he's a dude and like that it's like disrespectful or something along those lines. Well, you also have Char stepping up though again, trying to take charge, and he goes, "There's a, there's a, I don't think an infamous line in here, but it's somewhat well-known line, where he says, this is the military. Gender is irrelevant.'" But he also says, "Women will always be women." Yeah. Then he he, you know, later, <laughs> like you know, as soon as everyone else is away, he's like, "Yeah, she was right." <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Bright uh, relents and he's like, all right, Fa, you're going out too. I'm going to teach you a lesson. So uh, Sorry, one, one important thing here. This actually is a thematic thing. And this actually does inform uh, some of what Shirako is able to do and, and why some people, some characters choose to follow him is that they, they are trying to show you that the AU, despite being your protagonist faction that is fighting for the good of humanity and all that. It's still a lot of military dudes steeped in just sort of a lot of like old school chauvinistic military stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Rekoa does make it onto the Jupitris and she is try pretending to be a uh, mobile suit collector that ran out of fuel flying through Galgugan space, um, which doesn't really make a ton of sense, but okay, whatever. Um, so she's, you know, kind of wandering around the Jupitris doing her stuff. And while this happens, um, Sarah finds Camille 
uh, hiding behind an asteroid and starts fighting him. Uh, Rekua sees a, a new mobile suit under development and she hears mentions of Axis contacting the Titans. Um, did they say what the suit is at this time? They don't really mention it right now, do they? Uh, they do not. It doesn't come up for quite a long time now. Um, but it is the Palace Athene. Okay. Actually, I think they mention the name. They just don't say... Do they not mention the name? Okay. Nope. All right. I don't recall them saying it. No. Um, so Sirocco creeps on Rekua because um, she gets caught and as she's or not caught, she's like being dragged around and like suspected and everything like that. Right. Yeah. Like when she first lands on the ship, the guys are like, oh, we'll have to frisk you if you don't have money for these repairs. And she slaps the dude's hand away. Well, she does the same thing here to Sirocco, except he slaps her back. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> And and like he asks who she is, and she's like, "My name's Rekua Lond." He doesn't ask; he says, "You will tell me who you yeah. are and where you're from." And he's exerting his spooky new type pressure stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she tells him she doesn't tell him that she's a spy, but she says, "You know who she is and where she's from." Um, and he's like, "Okay, that's all I needed to know." <laughs> um, so Sarah is actually they're distracted. The crewman says there's fighting outside. Yeah, because yeah. we have to have a battle every episode. Yeah, yeah. So Sarah, he said, hey guys, it's time for the battle. Oh yeah, we, more minutes. Yeah, uh, Yazan would be proud. Um, yeah. So Sarah's beating Camille, and Fa shows up in the Methus. Um, yeah, yeah. So does Sirocco does mention the Palace Athena's name right here. So I have a note that says Sirocco orders the Palace Athena to be sent out. Um, he very explicitly calls it out. Uh, but was this, in the, was this in the dub or the sub? It's in the dub. I definitely yeah. So yeah, Sirocco says uh, he says send the Palace Athena oh. out, and Sarah New Type tells Sirocco that she wants to fight alone. So yeah. they don't show it, but they mention it by name. Yep. No, I have a note on that now. I, I found it. Okay. Um, now there's there is actually an interesting note right before this that's more interesting than me being wrong earlier about. Hey, it happens. I know. Um, so when Shiraco senses the Zeta in battle, he says that he feels a tremendous pressure. Shiraco says, I yeah. feel a tremendous pressure. The important part of this, this is the first time Shiraco has ever said that about someone else. It's always other people saying that about Shiraco. Yeah, and we, we slowly see Camille exerting more and more pressure as he's um, losing his douchiness you know, over the next several episodes. Um, yeah. So Sarah says, Nope, don't send anything out. I got this. Um, and Rekoa knocks out a soldier after she, he hits on her and, um, she starts escaping and Sirocco's like, let her escape. I'll bang her later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll come back to her. Don't worry. She's tagged. <laughs> Dibs. Dibs on the spy. Um, yep. Yeah. So Camille cuts off the Masala's leg, uh, and Sarah, uh, manages to escape away from Camille. Uh, Rekoa returns to the ship and Camille thanks Fa for saving him as he's dragging her suit back to the ship. So like, they're kind of like, uh, they've kind of met like a detente. So hopefully 
this is the end of them arguing constantly. And I actually think it is for the most part. Um, Sirocco creeps on Sarah a little bit more towards the end of the episode. And um, the episode ends and with Sarah likes it. Yeah. Sarah yeah. It's it. yeah. It's yeah. completely consensual as much as like brainwashing somebody with new type, like mind waves can be. Um, it's like that grooming idea, right? Yeah. And, and you see like he has this ability to influence people's minds and it, it shows up in this next scene. Right. So like, um, Reco is with bright basically doing a, an intelligence debrief on everything that she saw. Um, and so he, she's going to try to give bright a description of the palace Athena, but as she's like trying to recall what the suit was, she keeps seeing an image of Sirocco in the hangar and she can't like remove her focus from him. Um, yeah, she's literally sitting there drawing everything she saw, like, yeah. Like and, photographic memory, drawing it all out, and she's like leaving out. Yeah, stuff she's and, has, and she knows she's doing it, and can't yeah. figure out why she's doing it. Yeah, she's specifically leaving out, like talking about Sirocco. And the episode ends with a narrator saying that the shadows in Rekoa's hearts are, grow a little darker. So yeah, that's that. That was uh, that's it for this episode as far as like content goes, but. Yeah, so Sirocco well, gets a lot more fleshing out in this episode as far as like his influence goes. We kind of get a lot of development on Yazan and the strings that he's pulling. Um, and we, we're starting to see more development of Shar and his influence on the AU, where his trajectory is going to be going. And at the end of episode 28, did you catch Camille and Fa running off for their hobby? <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yep, that's the that's the last shot. Like Rekka was all sad, and then you see Camille and Fa in the background. Like they like look around and then they like <laughs> hold hands and like go somewhere. They're like, oh, it's time. Yeah, yeah. Camille is is slowly starting to mature. Um, yeah, he's he's not as bad as he was in the first half of the show. I feel like maybe people wrote wrote letters to Tamino and said like, "Can we get a main character that doesn't suck so much?" <laughs> Well, he's, he's starting to become comfortable yeah. and sort of coming into his own. He feels valued. And I think what it's showing is that as he was growing up, he didn't, he didn't feel these things that he feels like he has now, right? He wasn't well adjusted. And now he's sort of finding this place to belong and being that he's a teenager. Now that that's out of the way, he's kind of able to start taking in more of these experiences with people and think about how did these matter to me? You know what? And you see him in some of these episodes where he's arguing with Fa, like he does, you know, talk to, well, Apple, he talks to him, right. About like, Hey, here's some things you could you know do. And then Astonage earlier in episode 28, it's like, don't worry about Rekoi. Like Fa's a better match for you anyway. He's kind of soaking a lot of this in and, the first half of the series and he still is to some extent, but here's where you kind of start to see him act on these things and these experiences. And I think he's being forced to rapidly mature because he realizes that he could die at any moment and like wasting his time on, you know, arguing and bickering all the time is, uh, is not productive for his life. And like, um, and, and this is going to continue to happen. I think a lot of the stuff where he fell in love with four also forced him to like 
emotionally mature a little bit more. Now there was like a gap between him falling in love with her and, you know, like maturing, but like, um, you know, he hearkens back to that occasionally, like, oh, you know, like I've fallen in love. I've had that experience. Like now I need to be like a man and uh, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. It, dying in a war at every time. And so you're a young man or young person and need to mature very quickly because you're in a mobile suit battle war thing. Basically every Gundam show has a theme. It's, well, I mean, SD and build fighters. No, but everything else. So the theme of build fighters is look how cool our model kits are. You should buy them. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Get hype. Uh, I thought the theme of, of build fighters was more along the lines of, Hey, I've got this sexy AI bitch that wants to bang me. So I'm going to make a mobile suit that can, she can ride in with me. No. So it's literally, and look, she's going to turn into a real doll. <laughs> no, literally it, the, the entire theme is literally, Listen, we made a show about robots to make you want to buy our robot kits. That was not on the nose enough. So we're going to make a show about the robot kits we want you to buy <laughs> specifically. Oh, man. Yeah. I really want that white Sananju. And then it ended up being a show instead about how your hobbies are freedom and it's a place where you can express yourself. I wish I could play Build Fighters in real life. That would be really cool. Build fighters or build divers? Either. You know, I would put my model damage level on the lowest, though, because <laughs> I wouldn't want it to get what is it C, where it's all simulated damage. Yeah. Let's do that, please. Yeah. I, yeah, dude. I just finished the master grade Zeta. The first time I moved its arm on the shoulder ball joint, one of the like things that holds the shoulder poly cap cracked. <laughs> Okay, uh, these things are not made to be moved around and played with like that. So it's it makes well, sense that they would get. They have some like nonsense in the show about like if you build it better, they're stronger. That's right. And it's like the more heart you I put into it. it. <laughs> the more you work those sons of bitches, the more likely they are to break. It's like, you know, you <laughs> want to use the extra thin cement. It looks better. Hey, now. That's how you get rid of your seam lines, right? Yeah. And if you if you stay up all night sanding the same forearm, you will be able to do like the Bakunetsu burning finger or something. <laughs> uh, I always love uh, in the show, this is so off topic, I'm sorry, but I always love in the show when someone's like piloting and their, their suit sucks and then it like zooms in and they, forget, they didn't like do a good job of cleaning the nibs off. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they're like, he didn't believe in his kid when he built it. <laughs> yes. He just he just didn't wipe the paint off. He didn't wipe the cement off. God, dude, come on. Man. There's that whole dude. It's a straight build Shiman. Like his whole thing is he just opens the kit and snaps it together. That's what I'm going to do with that moon Gundam I got. The clear one. <laughs> hey, Gunpla is freedom. That's true. If you want to leave all the nubs on like a scrub, you're free to be a scrub. Scotty, have you gotten your uh, Gunpla waist holster yet? <laughs> uh, that, that's the cosplay accessory that they need to make. I would get one as a joke. You know what, though? They'd probably put it on P Bandai and like uh, look at the, the prices on their shirts, oh right? How much God. would they charge for a belt? Would that be a $200 belt on there? 
Well, wasn't like one of the backpacks like like eight hundred dollars? I don't know. All I know is sometimes I'm like, hey, cool tee. That's fifty dollars for a t-shirt. Yeah, that's why I like the the Uniqlo sales that they did. Like they had like it was like twelve bucks for a shirt, and like I I got like three shirts and got that that shiny tacky ass Zaku. <laughs> what show was I watching where the main character? really likes to wear Uniqlo and the, his main love interest is always making fun of him for being a cheap ass that wears Uniqlo. Yeah. Yeah. What show was that? It's driving me nuts now. Oh, well. Hey. All right. Anything else? I got nothing. All right. Thanks for listening. Catch us next in two weeks when we do episodes 29 through 31. Um, follow us on Twitter at new type flash pod or Feel free to comment on our post on the Mobile Suit Gundam subreddit. Until then, we will talk to you later.